Happy Easter resonates. We are a community that loves like Jesus. And my hope and my prayer is that this would be a transformative space for you. Not just today, but every time you tune in. Easter is the day that we celebrate Jesus and the fact that he has risen and he has risen indeed. So for that, we, we are thankful and we give Jesus praise. Well, before we get started on our Easter message, I want to first continue to inform you of some changes in rhythm that we are putting in place for our worship gatherings. If you join us for our online broadcast, the sermon is going to be the same as in person. It hasn't been for a while, so we're making this change back. So it's going to follow the same scriptures and be the same message. But yet online, I speak directly to the camera, and then I'm also going to give an in-person live sermon as well. So there might be a few differences in the way that I speak. We're also going to follow some similar rhythm that we've had, which includes our Sabbath Sundays. We will be taking off the first Sunday of the month for rest in person. This month, we're going to do all of the month of April, and then May 2nd is the first Sabbath Sunday. And then June 6th, the next Sabbath Sunday. Yet something very exciting. Each Sabbath Sunday is actually, we were not taking it fully off. We're going to be offering a church barbecue in the evening time on that particular day once a month. So basically, we get the party on these Sundays. So food is always good, right? So we're going to be offering on those Sabbath Sundays a creative online broadcast as well. So you can still attend church online on those specific days. So same sermon, Sabbath Sunday, the first Sunday of the month, we get the party in the evening time, and the online broadcast is consistent, even though we're not meeting in person on Sabbath Sundays, we're still going to offer an online broadcast. We're going to see how this goes, and then rebuild our church through the summer, and then probably in September, bring things back to a normal every week rhythm. And I hope that you enjoy what we have to offer and you do your best to come in person when you feel safe and secure to do so. Well, more importantly than what's happening with us as adults, we are rebuilding our children's program. And we have done some remodeling in our children's area. So if you wanted to come down and look at what we've done in person, you can. And we're turning this area into a fun and clean, interactive area for our younger kids. So the younger kids will be in our children's area here at the building. The older kids are going to be, we're going to be working on rebuilding that program across the street at Symposium Coffee House upstairs that we've remodeled that whole area. So safely and secure, they will be there. So we're expanding both areas and making sure that our kids are well taken care of, that we're offering a great program and an environment that is just awesome for our young ones. So I'm going to be super honest with you because I think I always need to be super honest with you. And today I'm going to be direct because one of the things that I believe that we need to focus on as a church, but also as a people, is the idea of rebuilding. We need to help each other rebuild as a church and also as a community of people. Some of us are coming back and our lives have been fractured. Some of us have very positive things happening. Some of us have 
losses happening, some gains and some losses. Some have exciting things that have gone on, and some have had devastating things that have happened. Some people are coming back and they're just fractured by politics and racial tensions that have gone on in the last year. Some people feel like they've lost the last year of their lives. It's just disappeared and it's been a moot subject, just gone. So we need to help each other rebuild and maybe tangibly help each other put life back together. So this is the time the church can step forward to help people, to help people navigate through the final hours of this pandemic and get back on their feet. All right, that's just a short message of what we're doing as a church and how we're implementing new things, changing things, remodeling things, putting something fresh together for the summer leading into the fall. And I hope that you come down and see us in person or join us for our online broadcasts. Now for an Easter message. But before I dive straight into that sermon, I'm going to ask an important question for Easter 2021. This is the question. Why should I listen to Jesus? Is Jesus worth listening to? And is Jesus worth following? That's actually the question, those two questions I'm going to answer through the entire Sermon on the Mount series. We're starting a new series focused on the Sermon on the Mount, and today's sermon is titled, The Unexpected Expert. Well, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' most famous teaching. He speaks with authority, and it's a supernatural authority in content. And I believe that this warrants the kind of commitment that people have towards Jesus over other good people that have a lot of other good opinions. Jesus speaks with a sense of authority, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, and this is why I chose this series. Well, I believe that Jesus is an expert in life's biggest questions, and Jesus answers, actually, life's biggest dilemma. Well, one of my goals today for this Easter is that you would be able to strengthen your faith through this message. But another is that you would be able to give a reason why you believe in the person of Jesus. And I think that sometimes we go through life and we attend gatherings and attend services and maybe go to small groups and we really don't know why we do the things that we do and what's the point of meeting together in the first place. Well, I believe that it's okay to come and not know why you come. We just show up. And that's, that's getting through the door sometimes is, is the first step of success, right? But it's okay to come and, and just come for friends. And it's okay to come for a certain portion you like. Yet we're all going to be faced with a question of who do we believe in. And if you're like me, I can't believe in something that I don't have my full heart into. So take this as an invitation to grow in our faith, to give all our allegiance to Jesus, and take that to the next level. Actually know why, besides the simple Sunday school answer, because the Bible tells me so, why do I believe what I believe? Although ultimately the Bible tells me so, that's the answer I'm going to give you today. All right, the experts are going to trust Jesus. In every area of our life, it's important to know the expert that you're going to trust in. For me, I have several experts in my life. In business, I have an expert coach that I trust and hold on to and have received a lot of counsel and advice from that has helped me tremendously. In ministry, for the last 20 some odd years, I've had a seasoned mentor that I lean on and ask questions and he helps me navigate through some of the best and the toughest challenges in ministry I've had. 
With my adopted daughters, I have an expert counselor trained in the challenges of adoption, and this person helps Amanda and I immensely with our children. For my health, I have a very well-informed and trained doctor who also is a nutritionist that helps me uh, with what I put in my body and also helps me manage stress and the physical training that I do. For my skin, I've sought out one of the best dermatologists that I could find. She tells me to do this and to do that, and she cuts on me when it's time to cut on me. She tells me it's time, and I go under the knife. So all of this to say, I have experts that I trust. If I'm going to go under the knife, I have to trust that person. They help me navigate through my life some of the best times and also some of the greatest challenges. Well, we have had a problem in the last year of who the expert is with COVID-19, especially with the things like the effectiveness of masks or the fear-based conspiracies of the vaccine and such. It's, it's kind of hard to know who the experts are and what news is real and what news is fake. Well, I have a filter in my life. I follow science. When it comes to science, I follow science. When it comes to spirituality, I follow the Bible. I follow Jesus. When it comes to other things like physical fitness, I follow physical fitness experts. When it comes to science, I follow science. So my information comes from epidemiologists and virologists versus anyone else. I don't just follow anyone when it comes to the information that I hold on to as truth let's say, for the pandemic. But yet not everybody does this. They may listen to fake news or some doctor outside the field that just has an opinion. One of the quotes I love is this, and it's, I'm being facetious here. My massage therapist told me that masks make people sicker. I didn't know I needed to lean on my massage therapist, who are amazing people, by the way, Massage therapist, props to you, yet faced with an epidemiological issue, I would rather go to a focused, trained expert in that field. Yet we have opposing opinions and a dilemma on our hands, like, for example, with a pandemic, and one person listens to this expert and another person listens to this expert. So if I was going to learn how to play saxophone, I wouldn't go to Dr. Fauci for lessons, and I probably wouldn't even go to Bill Clinton. I would probably go visit John Coltrane if he was still alive. But point being, I would find the right expert for the right skill. I would find the right person for the right information. Well, we have a problem that we face in our modern society. Our world is very complex, and it's hard to be an expert on something to its fullest. It takes a lifetime for people to become an expert on one thing. So the challenge and the decision that we are faced with is how do we decipher the best expert for the time in our lives when we need the expert? Do we base this on their credentials? Do we base it on their experience? Do we base it on the recommendation of another? What do we base our decision to follow a person in? What is that based on? Well, it ha it's no different when it comes to life's biggest questions. Where do we go when we die? That's a big question. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Well, the Gospels talk about Jesus to try to answer these questions. And the Gospel puts forth Jesus as the one we should trust 
as the expert to these greatest life questions. He is the doctor of the spiritual realm. Well, Jesus is the expert on these areas, and this is why we should listen to the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to try to explain why Jesus has the expert credentials. Jesus claims to be something that makes him an expert. In Matthew 11, 27 through 28, it says this, My Father has handed all these things over to me. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son wants to reveal him. 28 says this, Come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Well, we are used to these types of statements if we've read the Bible. And in our modern era, we've heard some of these stories and, and these words for a long time. So they're not a surprise to us that Jesus knows God and God knows Jesus and statements like giving you rest if you carry heavy burdens. But if you could imagine the first time you've heard these words, the first time you've heard the word that, that somebody knows God enough that he's willing to help you, that would be a surprise. You would be blown away. He says, my father has handed all these things over to me. Well, that's a huge claim. And if you were listening to that, you, you would think, okay, all authority, all power, all running the universe has been given to you. No one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son wants to reveal him. Well, that's another huge claim. If you were listening to that, you'd go, what? That he is the one who knows God and no one will know God unless Jesus reveals God to them? Well, these are hyperbolic statements that basically say, up until now, you, didn't know, you don't know anything about God. But what I'm going to reveal to you and what you're going to know about God, you're going to know everything about God. Well, that would be a shock to you if you heard that for the first time. Somebody actually knows God and knows God enough that they're going to offer you something. And that was, the, that was the kicker there, that these people were coming and listening to Jesus, and he was actually offering tangible help because he knew God and God knew him. Well, Matthew 5.11 says this, Happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you, all because of me. Well, that's an audacious claim because no good rabbi would actually say that. He would have said, blessed are you who are persecuted because of Israel, or blessed are you who are persecuted because of God's sake, but not for a person's sake. A rabbi would never teach that. Blessed are you who are persecuted because of me? That's, that's, just, that's just crazy thinking. Well, he teaches that people are to pray in his name and authority. That's not what you did in the first century. Take an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is what the Old Testament says. But Jesus says, turn the other cheek and to love your enemies, don't retaliate. That's crazy thinking. So Jesus is proclaiming huge here and saying that he is something that they are not used to. He is authority. His words are authority. His, wor his words and his authority supersede all the Old Testament. He has the authority as God. Well, that just sounds like somebody is just making claims that are unbelievable. He says things like, I was glorified with the Father before the world began. I was sent to the world to do the will of the Father. Well, most of us were just born. 
and our life began when we came out of the womb. Jesus basically is saying, I was before I came. Jesus is claiming that he was basically the creator of the world, the judge of all humanity. And everyone know, knew that God is the judge of all humanity. So pretty much an audacious claim that Jesus is making that he is God. Well, finally in John, he takes the I am statements to the next level and he says, that Jesus says that he is the I am. So Jesus claims to be God, the judge of the world, the creator of the world. So the crazy thing about what he is saying is not really what he is saying, but the fact that people followed it. That's what kind of blows my mind, is that the followers believed him in these claims. So I have a question at this point. If he's making all of these out-of-the-box claims, why did the followers of Jesus believe his claims as he was the expert? So a Jew is raised with the one God perspective, the Lord our God is one. They would pray that statement. And Jesus claims that he is God, so that kind of puts a plurality to things into play. So why did they believe him and not just think that he was crazy? Well, first I would say that Jesus taught with unprecedented authority. In Matthew 7, starting in verse 28, it says this, When Jesus finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he was teaching them like someone with authority and not like their legal experts. He was teaching them, he was teaching them like someone with authority. So authority, the exousia, this is the unnatural authority. This is the authority with the gravitas. It's the supernatural authority. It's not a scribe. It's not a rabbi teaching. It's not some just written thing that they're reading off the page. It's not some recited like texts of some kind. He is speaking with a supernatural, compelling to allegiance type of authority. Somebody that's just making audacious claims is not known for speaking exousia. No, Jesus became known for his authority that came from a supernatural power. Well, second, Jesus had a blameless life. So Jesus left this earth with the reputation of, of being blameless. The people closest to him actually said that he left without sin. He was he was sinless. So a megalomaniac doesn't usually, they're not usually known for their sinless life. Somebody that's just full of themselves or just all about their, they think that they're something that, that they're not. It's usually the opposite. Usually they're living a sin-filled life versus a sinless life. Well, third, Jesus had this healing power that, that cured people's diseases and drove out demons from others. So Jesus would heal people from oppression. Jesus would heal people from demon possession. He would physically feed thousands of people miraculously and heal those that were in need, considered untouchable in an old world society. He literally raised people from the dead, like we learned in recent messages about the raising of Lazarus. So three years of doing this in public an egomaniac doesn't do that in public for three solid years, giving of themselves, healing the sick and sheltering the poor and feeding the masses. 
So the fourth, and this is why we're celebrating today, the fourth reason why Jesus is the expert and I should be believing his words and why the followers of Jesus believed what he was claiming and what he was saying is he was raised from the dead. And because of his claims and because of his miracles and because of his snubbing the system, he was crucified. But he didn't stay crucified. On the third day, he rose from the dead. So the importance of the resurrection is without it, Jesus would just have been known as like a faith healer or a good prophet person, a pretty good one and a pretty good teacher. But without that resurrection, he would have been nothing special. Like he did really cool stuff, but certainly not the Messiah. And basically, eventually just a footnote in history. But the fact is, is that he rose. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 3, it says this, I passed on to you as most important what I also revealed. Christ died for our sins in line with the scriptures. He was buried and he rose on the third day in line with the scriptures. Pause there for a second. Christ died for our sins in line with the scriptures, meaning the Old Testament prophecy. He was buried and he rose the third day in line with the scriptures, prophecy, Old Testament. So verse 5 says this, he appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, then to the 12, and then he appeared to <clears throat> then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at once, all at the same time. Most of them are still alive to this day, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, the younger brother, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me. And Paul is writing this, so he appeared to Paul. I passed on to you. 1 Corinthians 15. This is the paradidomi. Now, fancy word for fancy people. But the paradidomi is the sacred passing on of tradition, the sacred text so when you're reading this, you, and you get to 1 Corinthians 15, you just read this as just a paragraph uh, that seems like a cool paragraph in the Bible. But how Paul structures this is actually a sacred creed. Paul is passing on and reminding them that this statement that he's about to make, notice in English it puts a colon right there, so everything past that colon we see is the sacred creed tradition. And even the list of people that he, that, that he appeared to are sacred appearances because they are the proof that this happened. So this is like the degree that Jesus held. This is, the, these, this is the paperwork that proves and shows that the resurrection happened. So anybody that read that would have read, wow, there's the gospel message. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again. And here's like 500 people that saw it happen. And most of those people are alive right now people. So if you want to verify this story, you can go talk to those 500 people and, and ask them what they saw. And the conclusion that you will come to is that Jesus rose from the dead. So basically this passage is the written degree that Jesus resurrected from the dead. And we just read it and just move on. It's actually a sacred creed and a sacred text in the church. And Paul is saying this, that he's telling the reader, go check it out yourself. 
there's all these people and they will say the same thing. They will say that Jesus appeared. Jesus appears even to James and, and he appears to him alone. And this is really important because James is not a believer during Jesus, during his life, those, those years of his ministry even. And then after he appeared to his brother, he becomes a believer. So what convinced James of the fact that Jesus and all these, these claims were real, true, and even his claim of being God was true? What convinced James? The appearance after the resurrection. Well, many of the early followers of Jesus died for this resurrection. They came into contact with the resurrected Christ, and their lives were were transformed. They went from a scared group of people and are transformed with an incredible, miraculous faith when they come into contact with Jesus. They start proclaiming Jesus and they proclaim Jesus all the way until their death. They walked right into a martyr's death. And I can't explain that away. I can't explain why, why would this handful of hundreds of people, when they came into contact with the resurrected Christ, if that was not true, that at some point they would have said, nope, I'm out. I, no, just kidding. I, I'm not going to follow through with that. They would have denied Jesus, but they didn't deny Jesus. And they walked right into drawn quartering, hanging upside down, uh, being crucified upside down. They just walked right into the lion's den and died for Jesus. And in Colossians 2, starting in verse 3, it says this, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. What that means is all of the past, all of the present, all of the future, all of the eternity, everything that is wise, everything to be known is in Christ. And this is the gift that Christ gives us in the resurrection. He gives us this eternal life. And this is my why. It is why I believe what I believe. And this is why I believe Jesus' words. And this is why I'm a follower of Christ. And I pray today that you also would commit your life to Christ. If you have not committed your life to Christ, I pray that today is the day that you put your faith and your whole self, whole mind, body, and soul right into your faith and belief that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is for me, that he died for me, he resurrected for me, and I get to live with Jesus for eternity. Jesus sat around a table before he died and he took some bread and he took some wine and he said, this is my body and this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Eat and drink in remembrance of me. And when I think about bread and how bread is made, bread is made out of grain that has been crushed. And you add salt and you add water and you put it in heat. You put it in the oven and you fire it and out comes bread. And how do I make wine? Well, I take grapes and I crush grapes and I put grapes in a container like in the old world, they put them in wineskins and I let that age for a period of time for some fine wine. And that's how you make wine. And Jesus looks at this bread and he says, he says, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body that has been crushed. And ultimately Jesus 
is the living water and the salt of the earth that he tells us to live out by his example, live that out in our lives and do this in remembrance of him. And he says, this blood, this, is, this wine represents my blood, which is the new covenant, the new covenant, the new deal, the church. You are to live this out in your life and to live out the truth and the love of Christ into the ages. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take on this Easter, let's take the bread and take the juice and do this in remembrance of Jesus and say, thanks be to God. Thank you, Jesus, that you resurrected from the dead so we can live. Thank you that you resurrected, that all the claims then, all the miracles, all the words that you said were 100% true. Thank you, Lord, that you resurrected, that we can have confidence that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, we believe your words, and we follow you with allegiance, and we are thankful that we get to live for eternity because of what you did here on earth and what you promised we will have for eternity. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.